For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. If you recall, a couple of episodes back, we talked about a reversal of a Trump-era rule that exempted companies from penalties resulting from migratory bird deaths outlined in the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. We used the example of the Gulf BP oil spill and how the fines that came out of that ecological disaster were used to restore marine and coastal habitats. Well, one of those birds from the Gulf oil spill, a brown pelican, made news the other day. This bird was originally found covered in oil in Louisiana. After it was cleaned up, it was shipped to a rehab facility in Georgia and banded with the tag 33Z. Eventually, it was released in that state in 2010. The state of Louisiana just reported that 33Z was just spotted back in the Sportsman's Paradise state, which is a flight of 700 miles, and boy are its wings tired. Just kidding. 700 miles is a day's work for an 8-pound bird that has a a 7.5-foot wingspan. What's really impressive is a brown pelican can swim 3 miles per hour underwater before it's even old enough to be fully feathered. And it can hold over 3 gallons of water in its bill. That's a triple threat type of bird if you're counting. I'm not saying that taking a single brown pelican from Louisiana to Georgia is the premier example of how Migratory Bird Act mitigation dollars have been spent. An estimated 800,000 to 1 million birds were killed across 102 species due to direct exposure during the BP oil spill. So focusing on singular individuals is good. Landscape and ecosystem type focus is better. Do what's best for the flock not just the fledgling, you could say. Even if that fledgling can swim three miles per hour almost out of the egg.
This week, we've got the war on wolves and grizzlies. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is hosted by Steel Power Equipment. Look up a steel dealer near you by going to steelusa.com. I don't have all that much going on. Got a new fancy, awesome pellet grill for barbecue season, which is year-round for me, if I'm being honest. Got the Camp Chef Woodwind 24. Thing rips. Smoked some fish. Grilled some mule deer. The usual. We just got back from a week of turkey hunting, about 45 minutes or so outside of the city of Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we hosted Austin, Jake, and Kevin, or Team Oklahoma, for the first ever TRCP meat eater turkey hunt. Austin won the raffle that raised a ton of money for conservation, and he brought his brother and childhood friend along. Isn't that sweet? It was a great trip. First timers got birds. You can't beat that. Old Steve and myself got blanked. No birds for us. However, old Giannis Patelis was kind enough to cook up a big batch of turkey schnitzel on the very last night we were there. We stayed up too late and ate well. It was fantastic. Now, in Michigan, I decided to climb a tree stand as there were plenty around, and like almost all of my tree stand sits, had I stayed long enough, I would have killed something. In this case, a turkey. But I don't sit well. I did make a post on the old Cal 406 Instagram handle in regards to legislation that will undoubtedly be law in the state of Idaho by the time of this recording, and that is, or was rather, State Bill 1211. This bill legislatively manages wildlife, which I am not a fan of. The state of Idaho is supposed to have an independent fish and game. This bill says, eh, no, you're not. For instance, wolves are a big game animal in the state of Idaho, which was part of the agreement when wolves became managed by the state of Idaho. A big game designation basically means that there are seasons, legal means of take, as in how you can catch or kill one, and you have to have a tag to legally kill a wolf, and that there's going to be a mandatory big game harvest report. According to this bill, 1211, The wolf will still be considered a big game animal, so you will still need a tag, and you will still need to report your harvest, but it will now be legal to take that animal by any means that you would use to legally kill a coyote, which coyotes are considered a varmint in the state of Idaho. Varmints can be killed year-round. They can be legally taken in a variety of different ways, including several non-big game ways, which would include like the use of night vision scopes which, you know, you use at night. If I'm being honest, this doesn't really bother me, with the exception of the fact that all of this could have been accomplished through regulation, as in a change to the big game hunting regs, not legislation, as in law. In fact, most of what's in this bill, if an individual wanted to go through the proper channels, could be accomplished prior to the bill becoming law. Currently in the state of Idaho, A hunter can get 15 over-the-counter wolf tags, a trapper can get 15 over-the-counter wolf tags, and a hunter-trapper can get a total of 30 wolf tags. Additional tags are available in depredation circumstances. Interestingly enough, under depredation circumstances, a person could be permitted to kill wolves at night with a night vision optic. 
Additionally, in the entire state of Idaho, the wolf season is almost year-round at either 11 or 12 months, if not on all lands, on private lands. Bill 1211 mandates that trapping be open year-round on private lands in all units, which is important because IDFG, Idaho Fish and Game, currently has some closures in place in areas that year-round trapping, specifically with snares, could cause unnecessary conflict. We'll get to why that is in a minute. The current length of the wolf season and the liberal tags are a reflection of the fact that wolf numbers are growing and trappers and hunters aren't that good at trapping or hunting them. Now that's a generalization, right? Through hunter harvest reports, which again is a benefit of the big game designation, in 2019, one trapper in the state actually managed to fill all of his 20 tags that were available at the time. Okay, so I just said 30 tags, now it's 20 tags. The 2019 season, it was 10 hunting tags, 10 trapping tags. So this person is the first person in Idaho state history to fill all available wolf tags, which, if you're listening, is a hell of an accomplishment. Write in, and I'll get you something. A-S-K-C-A-L. Ask Cal at TheMeatEater.com. A handful of trappers outside of that person, maybe we'll call them the big 2-0, consistently break into the low teens, but we're talking about less than 10 individuals. And quick side note here, if you are a savvy wolf trapper, which is statistically the most effective way of killing wolves, your wolf hunting tags are valid to be placed on trapped wolves as long as there is a wolf hunting season open in that game management unit, and you are, of course, carrying your trapper's license and you've completed your wolf trapper education course. If you've done that, then you can use a wolf hunting tag on a trapped wolf. That's what I'm saying. As for wolf hunters, here's a four instance for you. I, myself, was one of those folks who was at kind of like the tail end of high school when wolf reintroductions were being discussed. I thought I would, you know, naturally become a modern day wolfer, have another animal to hunt, and this one in the heart of the cold winter when there was nothing else going on big game-wise. Despite always having tags in my pocket, I have yet to kill a wolf. I've seen them. I've called a few in, but I have never gotten a shot. Technically, a wolf hunter I am, but in practice, a bad one. And I represent the majority of wolf hunters, not the minority. To get another wolf hunter's perspective, someone who's much more serious than I am, I call the buddy mine up in the panhandle, who is a self-proclaimed wolf hater and Hunter, who has decided to dedicate 15 days of each year specifically to wolf hunting. In three years, 45 days of hunting, and the purchase of a snowmobile for the specific use of wolf hunting, he has killed two wolves. And this dude can hunt, and he can shoot, very accurately, a long, long way. He's a skilled marksman. The Fish and Game Commission testified, through the director of Idaho Fish and Game, Ed Schriever, as to why they could not support 1211. It would limit Fish and Game's ability to manage wildlife. Ed gave this example. In some units that have a heavy presence of hounds and hound hunters running bears, they limit the use of snares in those units during that part of the season, a classic user conflict situation. Under the wording of Bill 1211, Fish and Game can only limit the season not the means of take, as the means of take are set by law now, not regulation. 
Snares are a means of take that pertain to trapping. Leg hold traps are still in use during prime hound season, but snares are not in those game management units. Typically, an animal, such as a domestic dog, can be released unharmed from a leg hold trap, whereas with a snare, especially one set for a canine of similar size, being caught could mean death to a hound dog. Which, if we're talking about having to lose a couple of working dogs to get the wolf numbers down, that's what's got to happen, right? Well, some do agree with that, and some do not. Look at what just happened in New Mexico. Roxy's Law, I believe is what it was called. A hiker's dog was killed in an illegally set snare. A well-funded anti-trapping campaign followed, and there is no more trapping for the vast majority of New Mexicans on all public lands. All public lands, not just in the area around Santa Fe where Roxy was killed. And if you were thinking, yeah, but not Idaho, I bet there were a lot of New Mexicans thinking the same thing. If forced into this situation, there could be a scenario in which the wolf trapping season would need to be shut down entirely in those game management units, and fewer wolves would be trapped, not more. You can see this would put IDFG in a hard place. Now, if you think a couple of hound dogs or working dogs wouldn't elicit such a response from the public that fishing game would have to shut down a unit, what about the year-round use of snares in areas where something even more controversial than hound dogs or cattle dogs roam? When I asked a local trapper how plausible it would be to catch a juvenile grizzly bear in a snare set for a wolf, he responded, entirely plausible, but the seasons don't match up. Well, under this new legislation, they will in Idaho. And the only response IDFG will have is to close the season down in that area entirely. Through changes in trapping regulations, Idaho increased the wolf take by 40% in the 2019-2020 season over the 2018-2019 season. About 583 wolves were killed in total in the 2019-2020 season. That number includes take from hunters, trappers, wildlife services, and there's a category that says other, which I'm assuming is some other sort of depredation or, uh, you know, known death. If Idaho has 1,556 wolves, which is the current math, a take of 583 wolves would represent roughly 30% decrease in total population, which is huge. And that, again, was done through regulation, not legislation. Now, this isn't going to be an apples-to-apples comparison to anybody who just wants to see wolves die, but... If you compare big game numbers, right, this is a big game animal, if we reduced the deer population or the elk population, the bighorn sheep population by 30%, that would make everybody stop in their tracks. Through the history of the wolf in Idaho, you can see how regulations have changed to mirror the growth of the wolf population. First, Limited units were open to the take of wolves only through firearms, only through hunting. There were no trapping seasons open. Those units had a quota or a cap on how many could be taken. Now, any hunter can buy more tags than they are ever likely to fill and use them almost throughout the calendar year in any part of Idaho. With Bill 1211, hunters and trappers would have the ability to purchase an unlimited amount of tags. 
But what would that accomplish? And again, that is something that could have been done through regulation. If you look at the trajectory of wolf tag availability, where it started to where it is now, unlimited tags could very well be in something that was coming in the near future anyway. In the 2019 to 2020 season, over 40,000 wolf tags were sold. Again, 583 wolves were taken total. Some of those were not taken with tags, meaning there are some USDA numbers in there. The difference between 40,000 tags sold and 583 tags punched, to me, suggests that this is not a getting tags in the hands of people problem. So I'm going to circle back to the issue with this legislation. Wildlife management takes time. It's not a perfect science. Our state wildlife agencies have the best data available to them, and they are at times a bit behind the curve. If we were to set legislation every session that determined our wildlife management, we would inevitably end up years, maybe decades behind that curve. Think of the COVID years, for instance, or some other natural disaster. Are lawmakers going to focus on passing legislation for wildlife every session? Or are they going to focus on economic stimulus packages, infrastructure, and schools? This wolf legislation versus regulation is something I hope is limited to a singular event and not the start of a trend. I am all for killing more wolves. I am all for having wolves on the landscape, but I do not agree that regulating wildlife through legislation is the way. I do not believe that this legislation, and there is a lot more to it than I have mentioned here, such as increasing the amount of funding the Wolf Control Board has, and increasing the amount of opportunities they have to spend it. And when it comes to spending that money, this bill includes a very ill-defined group of people they can spend it on. But I do not believe we are going to see some giant reduction in wolf numbers. And keep in mind, the reduction that we're looking for is a magical number that is just an acceptable number of wolves, which is a moving target. My buddy up in North Idaho, that number for him is zero. Zero wolves. The Panhandle, by the way, is a region that has seen declines in elk numbers absolutely without a doubt, in part by predation. Wolves, black bears, mountain lions, the occasional grizzly. There's a lot of critters that eat meat in the Panhandle. But, as always with conservation, there is seldom one thing to point to. For instance, the Clearwater North is the same place that at the time of Lewis and Clark was darn near denuded of game, a place tribes like the Nez Perce told white folks not to go to if they're looking for groceries. It wasn't until timber harvests opened up ground to sunlight blocked by old growth trees, the big burn of 1910 in which over three and a quarter million acres of timber burned in two days, the introduction of Yellowstone elk into Idaho in 1915, more fires in the 1930s, only after all of that did we really start to see fantastic elk habitat in the panhandle. Currently, timber management is, in comparison, non-existent, and we haven't seen a good ripping fire in a long time. Habitat will always be a piece of the puzzle. But, I digress. The other number that may be acceptable is 150, which is the number of wolves currently allowed for in the Idaho Wolf Management Plan. I truly believe in order to do that, to get down to a 150 number, poison on public land and helicopters will be involved. And those two options are, in my opinion, 
only for the professionals. And if this Wolf Control Board is going to spend money on independent contractors, they better have a helicopter. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So this is happening, right? This legislation is happening. So how will we know if this wolf legislation works? Well, it's going to be tough. Idaho, as discussed here previously, is also opening up more mountain lion opportunity in the state. Maybe more people will take advantage of black bear hunting in the state and be successful this spring and fall. The folks who do go out and chase lions might actually kill more this winter instead of just chasing them around. And that winter is going to have to be just hard enough to be able to track lions well, kill the winter ticks that affect moose, and then be just easy enough to where it gives a break to the ungulates that we're trying to protect here. And if this cycle repeats itself for two or three seasons, then we may be able to look back and say some part of this worked. Not definitively, of course. Could have been the more bear harvest or the more lion harvest 
or it could have been the fact that we had an easy winter or an easy spring. Or maybe it was that big ripping fire that took out the pickup, stick, deadfall, and dark timber that all the wolves were hiding in anyway and turned it into thousands of acres of feed. The scary part is, this legislation is flying in the face of a steady, measured reaction from wildlife professionals, which is slowly working with the hope of instant success. So what happens if the wolf numbers are not magically lower next year? Do we see more legislation? And if you want to play the fear game, what happens if we get more severe legislation, this carries on for another two or three seasons, and we overcorrect so hard that all the camera traps, radio collars, and aerial surveys turn up less than 150 wolves? Do we then have to watch our hunting rights go back out the door as they become relisted and relegated to federal control? We have to sit and watch those wolf numbers climb all the way back up before we get to hunt them again? Now, this has been a long opinion piece here, folks. But to bring it back home, wildlife management is not exact enough to be legislated, which is why I prefer it to be regulated. Moving on, and just for simplicity's sake, We're going to stick with the great state of Idaho. Looks like we might have a serial grizzly bear poacher in Fremont County. Fremont County sits in the eastern tip of the state near Yellowstone. Idaho Fish and Game officials recently announced that sometime between March 15 and March 23, a sow was shot multiple times near the Pole Bridge campground around Island Park in the Targhee National Forest. If you watch that Cal in the Field episode, this is exactly where we were. Fishing game officials went looking for the bear after her tracking collar sent a mortality signal, and they discovered her body partially submerged in the Little Warm River. The bad news didn't end there, as the officers then located the bear's den, where they found her dead cub, who had apparently starved to death. This follows two other recent grizzly bear poaching cases in the same area. Two boar grizzlies were found shot in the vicinity last fall, one in September and one in October. Bear poaching is actually pretty rare in North America compared with other regions of the world, especially Southeast Asia, where bear claws and other trophies are highly sought after. From 1983 to 2002, there were only eight verified instances of grizzly poaching across Idaho, Montana, Washington, and British Columbia, which makes this recent rash of poaching particularly strange, especially because the motivation doesn't seem to be the desire for meat, hide, claws, or heads. Is this recent poacher angry over growing numbers of bears in the area and their continued protection under the Endangered Species Act? Sort of a spotted owl type focusing of bad feelings on a particular emblematic animal? Or some people's powerful drive to flout any restrictions that conservation laws put on people? That speculation is less important than the concrete here and now. If any of you out there have information that could help Idaho Fish and Game find the responsible party, contact the Upper Snake Region Office, 208-525-7290, or Citizens Against Poaching at 1-800-632-5999. You can also go online at idfg.idaho.gov forward poacher. If your tip solves the case, you could end up with 50 grand. That's 50,000 bucks, which would go together very nicely with a clean conscience. Remember, poaching is stealing, and he's stealing from all of us, especially those of us who were living in the state of Idaho when we actually got to apply for the singular grizzly bear draw tag, and I want that opportunity again. 
people like this are setting us back from being able to legally hunt these things. Moving on, only a couple miles up the road, to some very tough news from a couple weeks back, when wilderness guide and photographer Carl Mock was mauled to death by a 410-pound male grizzly bear while Mock was fishing north of West Yellowstone, Montana, near Baker's Hole Campground at the western edge of the park. Mock's Instagram is chock full of the many spectacular photos he'd taken of bears, wolves, foxes, weasels, and other animals in the GYE since 2016. In his last post from two days before the attack, Mock joked that he'd been able to get one particularly close-up grizz photo because, quote, I smelled like I'd been catching trout all day. I think most of us who spend a good amount of time in grizzly country have told similar jokes, but no one wants the irony to be quite that stark. Mock's dominant hand was, quote, chomped up from trying to protect his face and neck. His bear spray had been deployed, although we don't know exactly when. Amazingly, despite a punctured skull, Mock had the fortitude to distance himself from the bear and make two phone calls directing in first responders who were able to extract Mock while the bear let his continued irritability known. It was the following day, a Friday, the investigation day, that the bear was killed and ultimately a moose carcass was found. The bear, who was a suspect at the time, didn't back down from attempts by a mixed group of seven park rangers, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks officials, and one dog to haze him away. After discharging eight cracker rounds, which are shotgun shells loaded with, like, M80-type firecrackers, the bear was eventually killed at a distance of 20 yards as it charged the group. Mock died of a stroke that resulted in brain death on Saturday. In order to get the Baker's Hole campground back open safely, the moose carcass was stuffed with explosives and blown up, which is a, believe it or not, common practice. This turns a big concentrated bear attractant that will stick around for a while into a bunch of very small attractants that get gobbled up by birds, squirrels, and bugs. Not recommended to try that one at home with your trash cans. The conflict between Mock and this particular bear seems to have been fairly quote-unquote natural. That is, a ravenous bear emerging from hibernation, aggressively defending a moose carcass nearby, which is the kind of thing that could have happened to an unlucky fisherman 500 years ago on the exact same spot, long before Yellowstone became what it is today. Mock was described as a serious outdoorsman, a real mountain man by his father, and fiercely loyal by his employer Jerry Johnson of Backcountry Adventures. Interesting note out of the Billings Gazette, Carl was an organ donor, and his heart, liver, kidneys, and pancreas were removed to help those in need of aftermarket parts. Sounds like a stand-up guy. If you do a quick search, you'll find a GoFundMe page to help with Carl's expenses. Guides don't typically have much in the way of insurance. Remember that the next time you go out on a snowmobile tour or a day of fishing. As we used to say, you can always tip over, but you can never over-tip. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can always get a hold of me by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. And most importantly, tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods. And last but not least, I really do want to thank the great folks at Steel for their support of Cal's Week in Review. Whether you need a pole saw for clearing a shooting lane or a chainsaw to cut firewood, they've got you covered. Available only at authorized dealers. Go to 
S-T-I-H-L-D-E-A-L-E-R-S.com. That's steeldealers.com to check them out and find your local dealer. Thanks again. I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel, gum, and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.